Well, hey, morning, y'all. It's good to see you on this, what, January 12th? Uh, 2020. Uh, let me start off with a couple more as if we didn't have enough announcements, all right? It's the beginning of the year. we got a lot of stuff going on. We had talked about having a deacon ordination today. We have moved that to the last Sunday of this month, okay? So if you, if you showed up just for that, you're excited for the deacon ordination, come back in a couple weeks, all right? Showdown, okay? It's Super Bowl weekend. We're going to do some fun stuff that day. We're going to have a preach-off between Jack Hare and myself. What does that mean? Uh, we'll tell you more next week in the next couple weeks as we uh, get closer. But it's going to be an easy opportunity to invite friends to church. Uh, if you are a, a male in this room, uh, man, I'm going to invite you to our men's night. Uh, it'll be a tailgate party on the 1st, the, the night before that uh, Super Bowl party. Uh, and so I want to encourage all the men in this place, middle school guys and on up, to be here with us. Uh, as we worship the Lord as a group of men, all right? Um, so I called you all last week to a hashtag Bible revival. Can I just, without making anybody feel guilty in the room, or maybe you weren't even here last week, how many of you all have your Bible? Hold it up. All right, there you go. Sweet, I love it. So in a few minutes, when I ask you to turn to Galatians 1, I want to hear you loud and proud shuffling through <laughs> your Bible, all right? If you, all you have is your phone, I want to hear you scrolling as loud as you possibly can, all right? If that means fingernails scraping on your screen, whatever, I don't care. Um, but we are in this series called First Things First, all right? And putting first things first, we talked about it last week, it's all about priority. It's all about priority. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 one to four, he told us as followers of Jesus what our priority is to be, what is to be of first importance. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter for the gospel, I preach to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. First importance, the gospel, here's what it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so the gospel is to be of first importance, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Or in other words, the gospel, we kind of defined it last week, it's the good news about the person and the work of Jesus, all right? The person and the work of Jesus. The gospel is to, with God's people, be a first importance first things first and one of the ways that I ended the service last week is we were looking at a passage in Romans 1 verse 16 and I want to read this for you again also Paul says this for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the what power of God for salvation to everyone who believes the gospel is the power of God for salvation Okay, and I used this illustration last week. I talked about uh, my personal vehicle, okay, my Honda CRV. Y'all remember that? Um, and I got home, um, and you can put that picture up on the screen there of my wife and I and our CRV. Um, I got home, and my wife, and because what they remembered was uh, a year ago, my wife and I went to Orlando, Florida to a conference, and I, I rented a car, all right? And my car was not a CRV, it was this vehicle. It was a Ford Mustang. <laughs> GT 5.0, this bad boy, I mean, it's like as soon as you started up, it was like, vroom, you know, and you feel it in your bones. In fact, um, I was testing this bad boy out on the highway. Uh, my wife had me take a picture. Uh, actually, she, I didn't take a picture. I was driving, but she had to take a picture of the speedometer. I don't know if you can see it there. Um, I don't have any deputies, any of my deputies in the room, do I? All right. Um, 
<laughs> just my insurance agent, right? Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. Let's take that picture down immediately. <laughs> oh man! Wow. You know, you know, it's funny. Um, so. <laughs> That, that's not funny. Um, <laughs> if I get a bill next month and it's, man. Well, it's funny. So my wife, um, I, I got a kick out of it. Every time we were merging onto the highway, I got a kick out of like hitting the gas so I could see my wife's head literally go, <laughs> yeah, like every time. Um, and man, and, and she, she doesn't love going fast, but I did that and I got up to 100, all right? And she said, I didn't get a picture. Can you, can you do that again? And I was like, if I have to, all right, right, okay, so, um, but this is the power that I think of when we talk about the gospel, right, it, there's this, there's this, this engine, this isn't like this 2.4, you know, uh, liter four-cylinder, this is like this 5.0, um, all this horsepower, when we put the gospel first, and for many of us, we, we live these kind of weak CRV kind of lies where, man, just to get up to speed, it takes so much effort. But then you've got this Ford Mustang, man, you just barely tap it. And it, there is so much power available. And so many of us are stuck living this weak kind of life without power because we haven't put first things first. We haven't put the gospel first. And so I'm just excited about this series because what, what my hope is, and even today, after last week and today, I'm hoping that what happens through this series is, for some of you, it changes the way that you look at God and the way that you look at life and the way that you approach things. I hope it really flips your paradigm for some of you, because some of you have been doing church so long, and it's just going through the motions. Um, you know, last week, I, we asked the question, how do we put the gospel first? And I know that there was probably many of us that left the building going, man, that was good, but what do I need to do? Tell me what to do to make the gospel. That question in itself, what do I need to do? It reveals to, to me and to us our natural inclination to ask, what do I need to do? That reveals to me our need for the gospel. Because listen, that, that's, again, that's not a bad question. What do I need to do? But here's what I would submit to you today, is that there are better questions that we need to ask first. And so the sermon today is called Four Questions, all right? Um, as you leave the room today, you're going to get this bookmark that's got these four questions. We're going to get to these in a couple minutes, and I'm really excited to share these questions with you. But let me give you kind of the, the bottom line for everything that we're talking about this morning. It's this, the gospel is not primarily about what you need to do, but about what Christ has already done, okay? Uh, let this sink in, okay? The gospel is not primarily about what you and I need to do, but what Christ has already done. And again, I'm speaking to this 21st century Western type of church mentality. Really, it's a human being mentality that give me stuff to do. Give me a list of do's and don'ts, and I can do that. But listen, the gospel is not primarily about, okay, we're going to unpack this over the next few minutes. Let me have you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Okay, I'm starting to hear a little bit. You guys are catching on, all right? <laughs> I'm hearing like a few pages turn. That's all right. We'll get there. Galatians chapter 1, it'll be on the screens for you in the, the Bible app as well. 
Galatians chapter 1. And I just want to read this, this, these six verses, seven verses to you that Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. Okay, this is a, a, a region of Asia Minor. It's what we would know today as, as modern-day Turkey. And he's writing this letter to all these churches to come against false teaching. Okay, so he had, he had taught these churches. He had given them the gospel, and there's false teachers and false teaching coming in that he's, he's writing to address, to come against, okay? So verses, starting in verse number three, here's, here's Paul at the beginning of this letter. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a typical way that Paul would write these letters to, to churches, okay? Grace and peace to you, verse number four. Notice he's pointing right from the start to the gospel. He says, grace, and the result of grace is peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, here's the gospel now. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. From the start, Paul, Paul addresses them. He greets them. He says, grace and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given himself for you, for us, to deliver us. Okay, and he's pointing to the gospel. And then verse 6, look at it with me. Verse 6, he says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. I want to pause right there. Because what happens in all of the letters in the, in the New Testament that Paul writes to the churches, he always starts out in this very similar way. Grace and peace to you. He's greeting them. And then he typically moves into kind of a commendation. Okay, let me commend you. I thank the Lord for you. I rejoice for you because of what God is doing in, in, in you and in your church. Even in the, the letters preceding Galatians, okay, it's First and Second Corinthians. If you know anything about Bible times, the church at Corinth was a messed up group of people, y'all. There was a lot of weird sin going on in their church. Even to the Corinthians, Paul writes and commends them for what, for, for, for what God is doing in them. But this is the only letter where Paul writes, and he skips right over the commendation. He doesn't even commend them. He jumps right to the point. And I want you to see what he says here. He says, verse 6, I am astonished. Man, I'm blown away that you are so quickly deserting him who, call, who called you in the grace of Christ. He's talking about the gospel of grace. You're... you're you're turning from him and are turning to a different gospel. Verse number seven, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Verse number nine, as we've said before, so now I say it again. Okay, this is important. This is the highlighter here. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so this subject matter was so important. It was so urgent that Paul skips right over commending them and thanking the Lord for him. And he gets right, he gets right to the point. And it's as if Paul says, y'all, we need to talk, all right? We got to talk about something. I am, I am, man, I am astonished at how quickly you're turning away from the gospel that we preach to you, the gospel that you receive, the gospel of grace, and you're turning to what he refers to as a different gospel, a distorted gospel, 
a gospel that is contrary to the gospel of grace. And I want you to see this kind of defending this, this key doctrine or teaching that we would call justi- justification by faith. Okay, this is a big theological term. Let me break it down for you. Justification is, is kind of a legal term, meaning declared innocent. Okay, so justification is we're declared innocent of our sin. We're no longer bound to um, the bondage of our sin. In other words, for example, say you broke the law, okay? You did something like you went over the speed limit, okay? Let's just throw out an example, all right? You're guilty of breaking the law, but to be justified is, is to be cleared of that, to be declared innocent of that, okay? So in our relationship with God, we are, we are sinners, we are guilty, we're, we are condemned to death because of our sin. But to be justified, and I remember learning this a long time ago, is to, is to be just as if I'd never sinned, okay? To be justified, it's, been, it's to be forgiven and freed from our sin. The gospel of grace that Paul preaches is this. Faith in Christ plus, can you say it? Nothing equals justification, In other words, the way that we clear our our account of our sin, the way we're freed from our sin, it's by faith in Christ plus nothing. That's the gospel of grace. It's a gift. There's no no human uh, merit. There's no self-effort. It's all Christ and what he is. Contrary gospel is this. Faith in Christ plus anything else equals justification. Anything else. So, so for example, the Galatians, in their minds, what they were teaching and what was going around was you have to believe in Jesus, plus you have to keep the law. You have to be circumcised. You have to do all these Jewish, these, these things according to the Jewish law, and then you're justified. Then you have right standing with God. Then you please God. And Paul, listen again. There is this urgency that Paul has. He says, listen, no, 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 no. I am blown away that you would move so quickly away from the gospel of grace, which says you don't have to do anything. Faith in Christ alone saves you. You're moving from that to this different gospel that says believe in Jesus plus do some stuff to please him. Follow this list of things, and then God will forgive you of your sins. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's, that's not the true gospel in fact, if, if we look back at verse, verse uh, 8 and 9, or verse 9, verses 8 and 9, he says this. It, it, it's not this, like, small little matter as if Paul was saying, hey, just, just blow those teachers off. Don't listen to them. Don't pay any attention to them. No, he says, he says something twice here, and you see it. I mean, this was a strong statement from Paul. He was saying, may God curse those who proclaim a different gospel. This was that important that if you add anything to what Jesus did on the cross, if you add anything, man, may God curse that teacher. May God curse that person. This is a big deal. This, again, was Paul saying, first things first. This doesn't have to do with what you and I need to do, but what Christ has already done. Let me fast forward to Galatians chapter 5. If you're still in your Bibles, flip over to Galatians chapter 5. A couple chapters later, Paul comes to this point, and this is really why this, the whole book of Galatians is so important, because he's talking about our freedom in Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, For freedom, Christ has set us what? Free. 
He's set us free so that we could live in freedom. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, what he says is that what Christ has done has set us free. You don't need to do anything else to add to that, to bring yourself freedom. He has done it all by his grace, not our effort. And this is what we are to stand. How do we do that? How do we put first things first? How do we stand firm in this gospel? This is where I want to turn to these, these four questions, okay? Um, and, and we're, we're going we're to walk through these. Um, and I would say this um, as kind of an introduction to these questions. Um, out of everything that I teach and communicate, this is probably my favorite thing to talk about because this has impacted me as much as anything in my Christian life, okay? Having been a follower of Jesus for a lot of years, being a pastor and in ministry for a number of years, um, I came across these four questions about four or five years ago, okay? And they have so impacted the way that I look at life and the way that I look at God and understand the gospel, okay? And so they're... they're the heart behind this is, man, I, I believe that this is a tool that can really help all of us to make sure that first things are first, that the gospel comes first. Because here, here is the thing. The Bible, and I don't know if you realize this, a lot of times we come to the Bible and we think that this book is about us. And it's, it's not. It, it addresses us and we're, we're, we're in, in the story, but this book, book is not primarily about us. Let, let me show you the four questions. Let me introduce you to them. Okay, number one is this. Who is God? Question two, what has he done? Okay, so there's a, a sequential order here that is important. So if you see the symmetry here, the first two questions are about who God is, what he has done. The last two questions are about me. Who am I? What do I do? Okay, so let me try to explain these questions a little bit. Typically what happens is when we read through the Bible, we come through a passage, or maybe we hear preaching, typically the first response we have, or, or the first question we might ask is, okay, now what do I do? Give me something to do. What am I supposed to do? Give me a list of things that I can check off a list, okay? And, and again, what do I do? How do I live? That is not a bad question. That is actually a really good, helpful question. But you notice that question is in a certain place. It's not first, it's last, okay? Because everything builds off of these first two questions. Who is God? What has he done? And in light of that, in light of who God is, in light of what he has done, what does that say about my identity? Who am I? In light of all of that, now, what do I do? How do I live? Okay, so here's what we're going to do over these, these next few minutes is, is we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of practice, okay? So I want you to participate with me because this, these four questions, it's like a tool. Like it took a little while of practicing it, right? You had, you had to, to, you know, maybe cut off some fingers or something before you really, like, hopefully not. Uh, and if you are missing a finger, I'm sorry, okay? I don't want to offend you. Um, but here's the deal. It takes practice, okay? So... I want to practice with you a little bit. So we're going to go to two different passages here and kind of walk through these together. And so I want you to participate with me, all right? So 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11, okay? Verses 7 through 11. And here's where I talk about those questions. Who is God? What has he done? 
Who am I? What do I do? The, the reason that last question, what do I do, the reason it comes forth is, again, like I said earlier, it's because the Bible is not primarily about us. It's about, you know who it's about? It's about God. It's about God. And so when we open the Bible, we've got to not go to it like, again, 21st century Western church going, okay, what can I get out of this? What can I like, add to, to my growth? But God, would you reveal yourself to me? Everything else flows out of that, who God is and what he's done. So here, here are, uh, here's this passage, 1 John 4. Uh, we're going to read this, and then we're going to practice these four questions, okay? So 1 John 4, starting verse 7. John says this, Beloves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Okay, so there is the passage. Let's, let's practice this. I want to ask the question. I want you to look at the text and see if you can come up with, with an answer. Okay, so question number one, who is God? What do you all see there? God is love. Man, you are on it. Okay, the reason I picked this passage is because it's like a softball. Okay, it's pretty easy to hit this one out of the park. It literally says, God is love, right? Okay, so who is God? God is love. Now, what has he done? He sent his son into the world, right? God is love because he is love. He has sent his son into the world for us, okay? And you see that a couple times in here. He sent his son into the world so that we might live through him, okay? So who is God? God is love. What has he done? Specifically through Christ, he has sent his son. Who am I? This is maybe a little bit more tricky. Who am I? Okay, I'm hearing some different things. Loved, Okay. I'm hearing a lot of good things. There's not like, here's a right and wrong answer necessarily, okay? Here, here's, here's what I would say, which vibes with all of you. Um, look at verse number 7. Compare that to verse number 11. Do you see a similar, a similar way that John is addressing the people? Beloved. Beloved, okay, which means dearly loved ones, all right? We are, if you remember the baptism of Jesus when Jesus was baptized and you hear the voice of the Father from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And here we're addressed as beloved, dearly loved ones of God. We are loved. So who is God? God is love. What has he done? He sent his son for us to prove his love. Who are we? We are loved ones. We are dearly loved ones, beloved. Fourth question. In light of all of that, in light of God being loved, that he sent his son for us, that we are loved ones, what do we do? How should we live? Let us love one another, right? And look at that again, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So there's a, a gospel motivation here. That's what I would call it. Just do that, okay? Just love one another because that's what we're supposed to do, right? As Christians, we're supposed to love one another. No, no, this flows out of God is love. And he has loved us so much that he, he 
gave his son for us, that he sent his son to be brutally killed and put on a cross for you and for me so that we could be forgiven. And that showed that God loves us, that he welcomes us into his family, and we are loved ones. And so how should we live? It's not, well, I have to. It's a, man, how could I not in light of who God is and what he has done in my life? And you know why some people get so turned off by Christianity and this whole thing? Because it becomes this religious thing where it's like, do this, do this, don't do that. Why? Because that's what good Christians do. This is the motivation. It's who God is and what he has done. In light of that, y'all, now that tells me who I am and how I'm to live. Is that making sense? Are you getting that? Let me do another passage that many of you are probably familiar with, okay? Psalm 23. Let's go Old Testament now. Psalm 23. If you're familiar with this passage, if you know the first line, you know this passage, the Lord is my shepherd, okay? So we're going to walk through this. Verse number one, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay? Incredible passage of Scripture. But let's walk through these questions, okay? Old Testament. And, and, and I said this before, I, th I think I said this last week, that all of the scriptures point to Jesus, right? Okay, so all the Old Testament is pointing forward to this Messiah who is to come. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all about the life and the, the, the ministry of Jesus. But then the rest of the New Testament points back to Jesus and who he was and what he's done for us. So how do we, how do we approach an Old Testament um, passage? Psalm 23. So... Who is God? What do you see here? My shepherd, all right? Very, very good. Very easy, right? The Lord is my shepherd. And so, what has he done? What are some of the things that he's done? How does God hear prayers? You know what I'm talking about? He's deciphering all this, and I'm like, I hear 15 voices. I'm like, I don't know what y'all just said. Um, <laughs> that's how amazing God is. But look, look, look through all of this, okay? You're seeing it. Uh, I shall not want, verse 1. Okay, he... He, he provides. He sustains. Verse number two, he, he gives me rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Verse number three, he restores my soul. He leads me. He walks with me in the valley. He comforts me, right? Goodness and mercy follows me. All these things that, that a shepherd does for his sheep, but listen, if we're going to, if we think about this, if we ask the question specifically, what has God done through Christ, this all points forward to Christ because all of these things that, he has, that, that the shepherd does, God has done for us in Christ. In Christ. Only in Christ does he give us rest. Only in Christ does he lead us into life. When we put our faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who walks with us, right? 
who comforts us in our affliction. And so, who is God? He's the shepherd. What has he done? Man, all kinds spelled out for you. So you kind of have to infer some things based on what you're reading here, okay? You have to kind of dig into this, okay? If the Lord is my shepherd, who am I? I'm a sheep, all right? I am, I'm a sheep. I am loved and cared for. The shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, man, this, this, this gives us our identity, okay? If, if you were just, just to say, man, you're a bunch of sheep, you're a bunch of sheeple, right, you know? That's not, that doesn't sound very complimentary, does it, okay? You're dumb and you need to be led around with a stick, all right? That's kind of what that feels like. But in light of, the Lord is my shepherd and he leads me. That's a whole different context, right? And so... He, he loves me. He cares for me. He provides for me. I'm part of his flock. Question four. Now, what do I do? What do I do? What, what are some things you would say? Okay, I didn't hear anything you said. Good response. Okay. I, I follow him, right? I trust him. I take comfort in him. All these things. So listen, if, if someone, if you were to come to me and say, man, I'm going through a valley right now, and life is really hard, you know what I could do? I could say, man, man, you got this. Get through this. Listen, if I were to do that, that is nothing but shallow pep talk that may get you a couple steps, but it will not last. For me to tell you what to do does not help you. For me to remind you of who God is and what he has done, that will. That will. If you came to me and I said, okay, let me remind you, who is God? Man, he is your shepherd. He is your shepherd. He has not forgotten about you, but he loves you and cares for you, and he proved it because he sent his son for you to die for you, for his spirit to come into you. And now you are, you are part of his people. You are part of his flock, dearly loved and cared for. And he is with you and he is for you. Now, you can trust him. Amen? You can take comfort because of who he is and what he has done. This isn't this pep talk of like, come on, you can do it. That Anybody can do that. That doesn't last. That's not gospel-centered. But when I point you to the person and the work of Jesus, that will help you. That will sustain you. That will give you power to gospel first because the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. So 1 John 4, Psalm 23, one of the things I have listed in your notes is Genesis 6 through 9. I'm not going to spend time walking through this, but, but, but I do want to point this out. This is a tool, okay, which, again, takes practice. And the best way I've found for, for, for you to get a hold of these four questions is to do it with others, okay, to maybe read through. And some of the groups, uh, community groups and things that we're going to be doing moving into this year will incorporate these questions because one of my favorite things is to do this with other people. Okay, in a group of like 100, it's hard to hear your responses, you know what I'm saying? But if we walk through Psalm 23 and I say, what do you see about who God is? And you begin to share what you see about 
the person of God and the, the, the character and the nature of God and what he has done. And you hear from me and we do that one another. Man, it's an incredible thing to learn how to use these, this tool. But Genesis 6, 9, the reason I bring this up is I went through this in my Bible reading this past week. And, you know, if you read through a little chunk of this story about Noah and the ark, you may go, okay, uh, I'm having a hard time figuring out from Genesis 6 who God is and what he's done. But if you look at, because there's different genres in, in the Bible, okay? And so the four questions, it's not like everything. You may have a hard time working through, um, like, the book of Leviticus, you know, one chapter, five verses, who is God, what has he done? You're going to be like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get this. And so Genesis 6 through 9 is a, a narrative. It's a longer passage. And so um, if I were to encourage you to practice it anywhere, I would go to New Testament, um, the epistles, the letters from Paul, because um, you see the gospel lifted up all the way throughout there. But the reason I bring this up is because for me, this has moved from just being a way to, to, to read my Bible, okay, and, and study scripture, and it's moved into kind of a filter through which I see all of life. Okay, and this is really the goal of this, is that we would, we would practice these questions and get used to using them so that we get to the point where we think through this filter, not of, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? But what has God done? Who is God and what has he done? So for example, let me, let me talk about a couple things that we would say are, are really core to what Christ followers do, okay? So for example, giving. To, to, to give, to give a tithe or an offering, to give regularly of your finances. Okay, you know why some people don't like to come to church? Because they feel like preacher guy is going to be like, hey, give me your money, all right? And, people, and understandably, and it could be easy for us to say, hey, give your money because that's like the rule keeper that's like, okay, there's something for me to do, I'll do it, okay? That in itself does not motivate. Should we give? Absolutely. That's part of a Christ follower's life with God is, 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 is giving, but if, if we were to see life through this lens, okay, who is God? God is generous, and he's kind, and he's loving. It's his nature to give. He so loved the world that, he's, that he gave. What has he done? He gave his son. He gave all of himself to us, and so, so who am I? I am a recipient of of the goodness and the grace and the generosity of God, aren't you? And so in light of that, how can I not give? Serving. Let's talk about serving. We need people to serve. Is that true? Amen. It is true. We need people to serve and serve in our kids' ministry and all over. But for me to just say, hey, we need people to serve and you ought to serve if you love God, it's not very motivating. But if we're thinking like gospel-formed, gospel-centered people, we go, okay, who is God and what has he done? Man, God has served us. Again, he is a giver. He's feet. It says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so who are we? We are, again, recipients of what he has done. We have done nothing to earn salvation. We have done nothing to clear our account of our sin. He has done everything in serving us and laying his life down. And so in light of all of that, who he is, what he has done, 
who he has made me to be, what should I do? Man, how could I not serve? How could I not give my, how could I not give an hour to serve when he has given me his life? Let's talk about community, okay, being amongst others. Uh, Who is God? God is, by his very nature, he is triune. He is a trinity. He is three in one. He is eternal community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is who he is. What has he done? Man, he has has sent his son. He has sent his spirit, all right? He has called us into the family of God, the people of God, the church community. And so who are we? We are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people. We are set apart to do. Man, we live in relationship with others. We live in relationship with others. Why? Because this is who God is and what he has done and who he has made us to be. Are y'all tracking with me? This all flows out of the gospel. It's not a have to, but it's in light of who God is and what he's done. It's a why, why would I not? How could I not in response to who God is? And you see what happens. And, and I'll confess to you, I have never, ever worked through these four questions and not come to a place of worship of who God is and all that he's done for me and I don't come out of that time going man I ought to to do this I go God it is the privilege of my life that in light of who you are and all you've done for me that I get to do this as well for others this is where we move from being a weak people who are just trying to do a list of of do's and don'ts, of good things, avoiding bad things in our own flesh and our own strength, and we move to being a gospel-centered people who put first things first, who, who, who put the engine first, which is the gospel that drives everything else, people that God has called us to be. Amen. And so, God, this morning, I'm just grateful for who you are and all that you've done. And Lord, um, you are incredible. Lord, you have called us not to look at our own identity and our our own responsibilities and the stuff we've got to do or not do. God, you've called us to behold Christ. You've called us to set our eyes upon Jesus. Because when we do that, all the other stuff flows out of that. When we seek you and who you are and what you've done, God, we understand who we are. We find our identity in you. And so, God, I pray that you would, in our lives, in our hearts, in the way that we look at your word, in the way that we look at world and the way that we look at our life. God, would you help us to put first things first? Would you help us to see you and your glory, who you are and all that you've done? God, would you help us to be a gospel-centered people of your gospel of grace? And so God, would you empower us? Would you help us to see things the way that you see things? 
God, in light of what Jesus has done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to continue to worship this morning.